Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. The cultures that make up the artist Diana Eusebio are woven together. Dominican from her father, Peruvian from her mother, born in Miami. We usually talk about these things figuratively, but in her art, Diana thinks about them literally. Diana uses plants native to Miami, Peru, and the Dominican Republic to dye garments that she then makes into art. Her work is so unique, she's been named... Her work is so unique, she's been named a U.S. Presidential Scholar in the Arts, the highest honor for a young artist in the United States. She's combining her Black, Indigenous, and Latin American history. She's literally examining what it means to be made in America from foreign parts. She's also a gifted photographer, so her art combines things like a photo of men playing dominoes printed on a garment dyed with annatto seeds, which is used in Dominican cooking. Her work speaks to the collage that makes up each one of us. She's been exhibited at the MoMA in New York. She's made art in the Everglades. Recently, she accepted a residency at Oolite Arts in South Beach, which includes a new wrinkle, a housing stipend, so that local artists can afford to stay local, so she can continue to study the city, the community, the cultures that made her. To talk to us about her work and herself is Diana Eusebio. Welcome, Diana. Hi, thank you for having me. I, uh, I, I was looking through your, your Instagram right before you guys came in, mm-hmm. and there was one, you know, there was lots of photos that caught my attention, you know, about this way where you're combining, um, like, the physical, the textile with, with, right. uh, with photography, which can be a little bit more you're catching something esoteric. And there was this one piece that really caught my attention, and it was you and your brother and sister uh, dressed in Marlin shirts. Oh yes, right. That and piece. and in the background, there's a photo of your dad, mm-hmm. uh, who I guess was a ball player in exactly. the Dominican. Exactly. And but that picture tells a whole story, right? Right. Exactly. Talk to me about that a little bit about how you use those images to then make it 3D and tell that story. Yeah, that's one of my favorite pieces, actually. So you have a good eye <laughs> to catch you, that on you. Instagram at <laughs> all places. But um, that's one of my favorite pieces. It's called American Dream. And it is myself and my two siblings. We are wearing those Marlin jerseys that you mentioned. And then in the background, we have my dad's diploma and um, a photo of him as a baseball player on the walls of our old home that we used to live in down south in Miami. So I grew up in in um, near Cutler Bay, near Ghouls area, mm-hmm. and also the Redlands, like we were very down south. Um, and I then printed that photo, this is a family photo that I found, printed it onto silk chiffon fabric, then dyed the fabric, put it onto paper, and did some embroidery on top of it, pointing out like specific things. So the the diploma in the corner and the outlining the shirts and the marlins logo and really what it's about is that american dream and the sacrifices that my dad made for us to be here enjoying the american pastime now you know um so he was a baseball player in the dominican republic he had he's a tremendous tremendous baseball player to this day he's still playing out in tropical park is that right on the weekends out <laughs> on playing the ball? weekends yeah um and he so he basically got drafted right out of high school in the dominican republic to the mlb mm-hmm. and his dream is this right but he decides to sacrifice that dream to instead go to college with a baseball scholarship in the dominican republic studies 
engineering um, in order to provide for his family, his mom, his his siblings. Um, but he ends up either way coming here, which is part of his dream. So that comes to life. And then my brother goes on to then go get drafted into the MLB. Wow. So you're and your parents met here. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so that's Miami. part of the that's part of the story. Yes. And your brother gets drafted into MLB. Is he playing? In, is he playing the league now? He was playing for the Seattle Seattle Mariners organization. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not playing anymore. But that was his my dad's dream come to life through my brother. And if he wouldn't have made that choice back then, maybe my brother, maybe I wouldn't exist. I wouldn't be here today. Um, he wouldn't have met my mom in the same way in Miami. Um, so there there's a lot of things that I'm reflecting on in that piece in that image and it's a simple family photo you know you go through your albums you find photos of family but I like to spend time with them and then I get to kind of reflect on those experiences and and kind of honor what I where I come from right and that Mm -hmm. and that is the nature of the art right is taking something and then bringing it bringing it to another dimension and bringing it closer to the viewer right in a certain way exactly let's give your dad a shout out what's his name Julio Eusebio. Julio Eusebio, and your brother who went into the league? Ricky Eusebio. Ricky Eusebio. Yes. So much of art is so is so personal, um, and and so this work, the the work that you're doing, um, it really strikes people because because of the the fact that it's personal, and they can sometimes art can be hard to relate to, but you mm-hmm. make it in such a way where it is relatable. Um, talk to me about how how you how you begin to think about something like that, where where you take something and you make it going from personal to to a little bit more universal, right? Mm. Well, when you're speaking, I was actually kind of translating that into what it means visually. So, mm. yeah, taking something um, and making it more universal and more and something personal, making it accessible to more people. And a, a big way I do that physically is by printing the photos, these images onto fabric and giving people the opportunity to even touch it. So like the the tactile element of the piece itself, I think adds another layer of sentimentality, of feeling, of connection that I realized after doing photography. Um, I realized in my intro, you mentioned I was a photographer. So at one point I was just doing that and printing on on paper. It didn't feel the same as printing on fabric and then working in textiles. And now I, I merged the two, I call them photo textile pieces. So in that way, the materials itself allow for the viewer to connect to it in a way that they can't um, if it's just a digital image or if it's printed on paper. And I, and I think that that's, it seems like that's part of, like every artist kind of finds their way, right? There's a certain medium that grabs your attention and it sounds like you were you were kind of learning how you can express yourself in each one and then it's the, the combination of both that then created something that, that moved it to a, to a different level for you. Right. It's not one or the other. It's about that intersectionality. And um, I think that in this country, there's a lot of moments where at least I found myself trying to grapple between different boxes. And mm-hmm. and I think people try to label you as different things in terms of identity. Mm-hmm. So I've always struggled with that, you know, being asked, where are you from? And I guess I'm from Miami, but I guess I'm also from Peru. I'm from the Dominican Republic. Mm. Um, I'm black, Latina. My family has indigenous roots in Peru, in DR too. Um, so it's it's very intersectional. And I think that I got to kind of embody that within the different mediums. So I get to ex- uh, bring them all together and not really have to pick one or the other, photography or textiles or fashion. 
I like to merge them. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's something about making, um, well, we had we had an artist earlier this week, uh, Tony Mendoza, who we talked about, you know, he took mm-hmm. Cuban phrases and then he painted them literally. Oh. You know, and so there's something that you're doing also, which is this idea of making something, something literal, something physical, this weaving mm-hmm. together, like you said, mm-hmm. of this intersectionality, yeah. right, of all these different parts of you. Exactly, exactly. Talk to me about... Um, coming to that point right like to get to this point where you're creating this kind of work you, there's there's steps in the way right oh yeah <laughs> so and, and I want to and I want to do I want to ask you more about that um talk to me about like the first time that art really came into your life ah so it's gonna be a long story then but um we have a long show <laughs> because I have been um I, it surprises people that I've had a 10 plus year career at 25 um because I started very early um, and I don't even count maybe elementary school magnet school programs that I went to in elementary middle high school leading all the way to college undergrad um, now my studio practice um, so it's been a long it's been a long time coming um, I I say that maybe Miami Dade's uh, public schools program that they have the magnet program is what allowed me to um, take art so seriously at a young age. What program were you in? So I, I did, I went to Perrine Elementary for all the locals out there. Okay, shout South. out to Perrine Elementary, <laughs> yes, for sure. And I did their art program from the third grade to fifth grade, right? Um, then naturally, um, most people go to the, the nearby middle school that's also an art program. It was Southwood Middle School. Shout out to Southwood. Shout out to Southwood. It's had like <laughs> lots of shout outs. Lo- there's lots of uh, of artists have gone through Southwood who've, who've become professional artists in the career, or yeah. musicians, and and what have you. I'm thinking of Alex Lackamore, who's a buddy who helped mm. create the music to Hamilton. Oh wow, yeah. I had no idea. Well, actually. they're they're layered. Yes. So you had people at a young age who were um, treating art more than just a subject in school. Right. More like a a potential opening up a potential. Career. A career, yeah. Exactly. I had people that believed in me, and I really am grateful for those people. And after middle school, you know, high school, I went to Dash, which was a very intensive art program. Uh, it felt like I was in college um, be, for the amount of hours that I was in school and the amount of time that I was in doing my practice. Um, so I was I was studying fashion design while I was in high school. And right before high school, I also did a, a program outside of school. So I was doing, at the time it was called Art South, all the way in Florida City, very close to the Everglades. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a that was what really made an impact on me. So that program opened my eyes to all of this, all of the practices around sewing clothing and making anything from scratch. So at 13, I knew how to make a shirt I knew how to make pants. I could sew anything, and and every time I see people walking around, I would, I would be able to kind of understand what the seam line meant, or why these buttons were in the position they were, why they're on the left side of the collar and not the right. And and at that point, I told myself I would become a fashion designer. That's it. Um, but now I I lo- I love the idea of having the fashion practice on uh, next to the textile practice and the photography and all combining all of it. Well, there's definitely an element of mm-hmm. of uh, creation, right? Like, a, like a seeing seeing these fabrics and seeing it as part of a like a, a tactical thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. here's how you make a, but then seeing what that means, like, what does it mean to have the buttons on the left or the right, and then starting to make leaps beyond that. Was there someone in your life that was that that was creating textiles, that was creating, you know, was making 
shirts or outfits or dresses or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, so my my instructor when I was at that program I mentioned at Art South mm-hmm. at 13, Marie Duberet, um, she is instrumental in me under getting an understanding for a technical understanding for garment construction at such a young age mm-hmm. and the amount of faith and belief that she just had in her students. She was teaching five-year-olds how to make clothing. Mm. I I remember. So she really did not have an age limit or or recommended age for someone to be doing that. So it it allowed me to express myself in a way that I didn't even know was possible. And then taking that um, into my high school program and then into college, I studied in Baltimore. I went to MICA. You have um, a little bit of a Baltimore accent, even there. <laughs> the way you said Baltimore, I was like, that sounds like straight out of the wire there. <laughs> I was there for a few years, so I got a little, a little, uh, <laughs> a little accent now. But um, yeah, that all of that is what really led me to where I am now. And um, I would say I've had a, a pretty long career, but I'm looking forward to everything that's in store. There's yeah. so, there's so much. I'm so excited for anything that comes my way in the future. Our guest today is Diana Osevio. She's a Peruvian and Dominican artist born and raised in Miami, and her work is currently on display at Ulite Arts in South Beach. Diana, I want to talk to you a little bit about so getting to this point, right? Obviously, you're, you're doing something that's, that's taken the next level, but it sounds like you had strong mentors both in your discipline, right, but also in your family life. I mean, obviously, your, your dad is a guy that, that made sacrifices in his own family to, mm-hmm. to then pass it on to his kids. Uh, to, so his kids can have a, a successful life, and and I want to talk about about that. So tell me about growing up. Like who were some like how did they, how did your folks starting at home, kind of foster this uh, this interest in art, right? Mm. Yeah. So not yeah exactly. My parents were instrumental as well in 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 getting me where I am now. Um, so my dad, like I mentioned, comes from the Dominican Republic first-generation family and then my mom is from Peru um, and they met here they had no understanding I think of the art art as a career in this country Um, so for me it was a lot about figuring out how that will look and I'm still figuring that out Mm -hmm. to this day so um, I think that they they're great because they've always had just faith in, in me getting to where I want to go or practicing the things that I'm passionate about and that I really love. Mm. I think the sacrifices they made um, in working jobs maybe that they didn't they didn't love um, just to make money, just to make ends meet and just to support us to get to do our dreams is how they supported me. And if it meant that my my passion was art, and that's the career that I was going to pursue, then they were all for it. Um, they might not understand how that looks. I also don't know where it will take me, <laughs> but that's the beauty of this career is that it is so, um, it has so many changes and so many uh, turns and twists that I can't even predict where I will go. But um, they they definitely are just there and they're supporting me. They're in the corner. They're rooting for Cheering me. Cheering you on, Cheering right? Cheering me right. on. <laughs> Talk to me about some of the moments, right? There mm-hmm. must have been moments where you're you're doing this thing, and it's a fun thing, right? And then, but there must have been moments where you had kind of an aha, like, oh, this could be something else. Oh yes. What were some of those that really helped propel you forward? Oh well, the first aha moment, I think, for myself and even my family is 
getting that presidential scholar honor um, as an 18 year old to come graduate just dra- graduating high school going being flown out to Washington DC to be given a medal by the uh, Secretary of Education um, and they choose 20 people every year 20 students that are graduating um, and they're 20 students that are only in the arts so 20 students across the country across the entire country right and they're doing different disciplines it's not just visual art so i'm the only one that's doing design arts they only chose one person that year wow and then there's two visual artists there's a couple performing artists um and that was an aha moment you know i was at the kennedy center uh performing alongside these these other artists and showing my work in a major exhibition and that's in the hall of nations and um they also I was also awarded uh, some scholarship funding, which allowed me to continue my studies and go to school. Mm-hmm. So that was a big moment for me, you know, that that changed a lot. You know, it allowed me to be able to go to school without having to worry so much about money as because I knew that my parents were not going to be able to fully support me. So I from a young age, I knew if I want to go to college, I have to excel in what I'm doing and it really propelled me to like just go full force right. and give it all give it my all so up until mm-hmm. that point you were at dash right you were at yes. uh, the design design school here in which is here in, in Miami mm-hmm. and tell me about like what you thought your career would look like then you know you're a senior in high school this you haven't been given this award yet like what were you thinking with your interest like this where would this lead you you know ah uh, so my dream at the time Fashion design, that's it, point blank. You were going to be the lead designer at Louis Vuitton. <laughs> right. I was just going to do fashion design, maybe from a very commercial perspective. wasn't really sure how to bring it into fine art. And I I knew that I had been admitted to a school in Paris, so I thought I would go to Paris and become uh, have my live my best Parisian life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I ended up going to Baltimore, which was like so different, um, but it was something that I think allowed me to even then go and study abroad and so I did end up going to Europe I did exhibit my work there I did make fashion there in Italy and and I was in France and different places so there was opportunities that that came that I just I maybe had things in mind for myself but I always have an open mind um, because like I said this career can take you um, in any direction and you got to be prepared for it so, um, yeah, well, back then I had a different idea of and, things. And well, it's that idea. Like, it seems like something happened where you're like, I can go from this very literal job, a fashion design job, to something to it can be that practice alongside a creation of art. I'm thinking of like, like Pharrell Williams is like supposedly the, the new the new Louis Vuitton designer. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of Virgil Abloh, you mm-hmm. know, who's who's got, you know, um, architectural elements while he's also a, a, a a designer, an artist, right? And and yeah, tell me, multidisciplinary careers, exactly. And that's kind of really, I think, it seems like that's what your your career is like. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that, about those moments when you're in Baltimore, like that that particular experience where you're outside Miami. Mm-hmm. It's uh, twenty degrees outside. <laughs> tell me it's about snowing. The, yeah, it's snowing. <laughs> tell me about the moments there where you start to think about that really starts to expand your your thinking about the creation of art and the creation of a fashion even so yes Micah was in was important because I was coming from a fashion design technical 
education background Mm -hmm. coming into textiles which in itself is a term that is is kind of vague you know yeah you hear the word textiles (laughs) and it's like a cloud it's a word cloud right it's like is it fabric are you working with um fashion are you you know is it fine art and that's exactly what that program was it gave me the opportunity to expand what i thought fashion was Mm -hmm. and i was actually i actually minored in experimental fashion that's the title that's on my degree what a wonderful that what a great (laughs) thing to put on your business card right right so there's um that's exactly the best way to describe it Hmm. so i i was able to take this fashion this technical fashion background and combine it with a more fine art interdisciplinary um practice that revolves around fabric and the and so I learned how to natural dye. I learned dyeing practices, how to quilt, how to um, weave, knit, crochet. And so I thought I'm coming from this background in fashion thinking I have to go to this fabric store and buy the fabric and then make clothes. And that's it. And someone wears it on the runway. But there's actually steps before the fabric gets to the fa- fabric store that I learned. And now I... I focus a lot of my practice on natural dyeing the fabrics and and it allows me to to combine the photography in that way onto the fabric and dye it. Well that that's the art, right? Mm-hmm. The the art is is then the story behind the creation of the fabric. Exactly. And so talk to me about that a little bit. Like it, your art uh, from what I read has featured a lot of things where like like where you weave together your Dominican, your Peruvian background, your Miami backgrounds by mm-hmm. using like Spanish moss mm-hmm. to dye things. And that says something about the quote unquote fabric of Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, anato, you know, yeah, which you used, uh, which is used in Dominican cooking and Caribbean cooking in mm-hmm. general. Talk to me about that kind of, that's the twist, right? right? Where you go from something technical to be like, how do I make something more esoteric, right? You make a, a bigger commentary about this. Mm, yes. Talk, where did that, where did that idea come from? Um, it leads me that that basically leads me to talk more about my mother's side of mm. things, so my Peruvian side, and it really all comes from the inspiration there around textiles. So I love to work in textiles, and I love to tell people I work in textiles because it is one of the one of the only forms of art from Latin America that has been untouched uh, by colonization. Mm. And so I think of textiles as something that was around as it's it's been around for centuries and it's always been valued by the indigenous people. It was a form of commerce, a form of trading, a form of telling a story about where you're from, what plants were used to make the colors and those plants come from certain regions. So you're from that region. Um, but the Spaniards might have not had um, might have not valued it as much as the indigenous people. So they left it untouched. Mm-hmm. They, they went for the emeralds, the gold, the silver, and they took that. But the textiles are still rich in history to this day. So it's something that I love to study and research because I, I want that practice to remain alive. And I, and I look a lot at Peruvian textiles. So when I was in, at MICA, I made a collection all about Peruvian textiles. I was actually collaborating with my grandmother that lives in Lima in Peru. Wow. And she was... What an avenue. I did not see that coming. (laughs) Right. She was in in the markets in Peru looking for specific accessories to um, style the garments and the the models that were on the runway um, for my collection. And 
I really so you're, got... So you're like FaceTiming with <laughs> Abuela or she's sending you pictures? Or how is that? Abuela's sending me WhatsApp pictures of like specific things she's holding in the market. Okay, is this true yoga, this beanie? Or is this um this thing good for like a waist uh, belt or the skirt and fabric, this manta, different things? So she's sending you photos of like mm-hmm. indigenous fabrics and designs that have survived and then you're thinking about them in the creation of something modern and something artistic. Exactly. So I, I that's where it all came from. Hmm. I, I had a, a year-long process behind that collection. So I'm studying and researching the textiles, and I'm learning a lot about my own history through the fabric. What was that like to be to have those kind? Because a lot of kids, you know, they're not sure, and, and even grandparents, because there's a generation between them, they're not sure how to how to bridge that and talk mm-hmm. to each other. How did doing that project help help you kind of connect with a little bit more about your background and, and your own grandmother? Yeah, so I I learned a lot about why specific colors are used in mantas are used in the in the mantas are like the the blankets that they make that are woven. Mm. They're stripes. They're very common to see in Latin America, and and in America they call them tribal prints. They kind of um, erase the origin of it and it's seen in fashion a lot so i they was, group it all together tribal it, exactly right? tribal yeah. prints could and be anything right yeah could be samoan could be <laughs> a, right could be incan exactly so i i felt like there was a lot of history that was being erased or not really um in the public in the public eye or in fashion in general so i wanted to do that research and that work that's how I started to learn about those natural dye processes. And then fast forward to now in my studio practice, um, at the beginning of this year, I went to the Everglades for a month to just only research how to make yellow. Cause you, oh, interesting. Cause you learned like the dyeing practice over there. Like, oh, what do they use to make yellow or, mm-hmm. or, or pink? Exactly. What, give me an example of something that you learned that, that, um, that they were using traditionally in Peru to dye something. Yeah, so um, my favorite dye is the cochinilla which produces the color red and cochinilla is a small bug it's a parasite that lives on the surface of the cacti plant so it's like the nopal or the tuna plant that Mm -hmm. people are familiar with and it lives its whole life there so it's a concentrated red color when you squish it not because of its blood but because of the cacti itself producing a red color within its own leaves Um, so that's a historical dye that um, has been around for centuries, and my mom would actually tell me stories about her and when she was being raised in Peru, her grandma, grandmother telling her, go in the backyard and get the cochinilla off the cacti. We're going to get you a new pair of shoes today. So you you scrape the ca- cochinilla off, um, go to the market, and you would make a lot of money from those bugs. To this day, it's it's one of the most valuable dies um so that is my favorite uh form of uh, that's my favorite um story around a dye and that's why red is my favorite color as well um so there's things like that there's stories like that that i've heard uh growing up from my mom and then i uh have a technical background when it comes to uh how to make the dye from schooling but there was a missing link between it which is like what is the history before it why is it so important? Why is it not being practiced today? How do synthetic dyes replace it? Mm. Is it going to survive our generation? So my work is talking about those things and 
maybe informing people on these practices that have been around for long before me that I did not invent. Um, they're the answers that indigenous peoples gave us to environmental issues that we're having now. Mm. You know, fashion's the number two polluter in the world. Wow. And and a lot of it comes from the actual dye chemicals. From the synthetic dye chemicals mm-hmm. versus things that are natural. Exactly. Our guest today is the artist Diana Osevio. She uses photography and natural dye techniques to bring her Peruvian and Dominican history together. You can find her work at Ulite Arts in South Beach and on Instagram at Diana Eusebio, E-U-S-E-B-I-O, studio. So we get to this point where you you have this, you learn these techniques, like where these dyes come from. You take this technical knowledge about how to make these things into a fabric. And then there's the artistic step, right? Which is you use them to paint. Mm-hmm. You use them to say something. Mm-hmm. Tell me about some of the things that uh, some of the pieces that you've created where you are taking these things and saying something with them i'm thinking of this piece where like to start us off um uh, there's the hands of these men playing dominoes in the dominican Mm -hmm. and that was during a trip that you went to the dominican so you both took the art and then create the dye and then apply to the to the fabric (laughs) to say something very layered (laughs) yeah very layered tell me but take me through that oh yeah so um i was fortunate to go to the Dominican Republic in March as part of an artist residency. Okay. So I was paid to go for three weeks and study the textiles over there. And that changed my mind. That changed everything because I hadn't been back to the Dominican Republic in 22 years. Wow, you had visit. You were born here, but you, you had visited as, exactly. a, as a little kid. Exactly, so it had been a, a long time. I, I barely had any memories, but I did have family over there and people that I got to reconnect with. So um, I was able to, I was participating in Mecca Art Fair, which is an international art fair that travels from Puerto Rico to Dominican Republic. And this is their first year, their inaugural year at the, in Santo Domingo. Okay. So I participated in the art fair, had my work. It's this quilt that you're, uh, that you mentioned with the hands playing domino. And it's dyed with these traditions that come from ZR. And I chose that piece purposely to exhibit in the Dominican Republic because I knew that I would have a different um, a different reaction from the viewers. These are the people of the country of Santo Domingo, and they're seeing this piece that relates to them, but it's coming from a first generation American perspective. So I had a lot of crazy crazy conversations with people that you're, are you're seeing yourself connecting. fresh right yes yeah. um and like then what I, what kind of conversations did it lead to well it led me to understand more about the actual seed itself so uh, it's called a nato in america it's called a chote in peru and mm-hmm. it's called bija in the dominican republic and i i learned about how the taino people would use it to actually cover their skin and that's where the derogatory term red skin comes from, mm. uh, used to, to name like Native American people. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a there was uses behind it, though. It was used on their skin to ward off mosquitoes. It was it was used as a natural hair dye. It was used to naturally dye textile. So there was other things besides using it to dye fabric that I learned about through the people. Um, and then 
connecting with family after 22 years and having a family reunion over there we talk about the way that it's used in cooking or i'm actually eating the food what um, kind of things did you have what kind of things did the <laughs> we gotta did the talk about the, the pescado frito from oh, boca chica yes <laughs> did that did that blow your mind yes it was so good um and my my dad and my mom my whole family uh my siblings too hadn't gone back in 22 years as well so, so my you dad, all went down as a family we so we took turns mm. i was there for three weeks my sister came with her husband at the beginning they left but then at the end my my parents came by and we had a reunion in boca chica where's my dad's hometown mm. and um they made him a feast they had the pescado frito they had the arroz con frijoles or con habichuela um, tostones, all of the above. <laughs> Did they remember your dad, the ball player? Yes. The dad, the That's person, exactly the ball player? That's exactly how they referred to him. Really? El pelotero. El pelotero. Yes. That's hilarious. Uh, we actually had this moment where we were looking for the house and asking people on the street, do you know about the Eusebio family? Do you know where they lived? And we were looking for my grandparents' original home that, that we didn't really have the address to. There's not a lot of... The addresses aren't very exact over there. Yeah, it's not exactly a <laughs> There's grid. no Google Maps. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So we were just asking word of mouth and mm -hmm. people would say, oh, Eusebio, el pelotero. Wow. And um, then we, they would lead us over here and over there and we ended up finding my grandparents' house. So there are a lot of things that I got to experience from personal to artistic while I was there, over there. And it's been informing the way that I use these seeds and use these natural plant materials to tell my story in a in a very rich way i think it's very layered um i don't expect everybody to understand it and that's okay um but i do think that people feel it somehow well it's a memoir it's, it's a it's a it's physical a, memoir right, that it's you like can an archive yeah yeah and so give me take me through the layers of that one piece and people can can check that out um on your instagram at diana eusebio studio mm -hmm. um tell me take me through that piece um so i'll t i'll take you through the process in, okay. in general Great. um which is finding the primary colors in nature is where you begin so you want to get red yellow and blue so that you can have the rainbow and in, and in this photo, uh, when people see it, you'll see that it's, it, it's almost like sunset. You can see people's hands. Uh, there's some red in there. You know, right. there's the yellow table. There's the dominoes on the table. There's mm. blue in the face of a watch. You know, mm -hmm. and and so so take so exactly all those colors come from nature. Um, uh, but I started my research over a year ago. I was actually an artist in residence at the Deering Estate for a year. Mm. So working with the naturalists in Miami-Dade Parks and Recreation, um, working with them to to uh, get the plants um, and then bringing them to my studio, experimenting with them until I found all three colors in nature. Mm. So once you find those colors, um, red comes from cochinilla and from um, achote as well. The yellow came from my studies in the Everglades from the Spanish moss that I was working with the park rangers and the hydrologists there for a month. And then the indigo or the blue comes from indigo, which is a ancient process that comes from Latin America. And um, I got to then create all these pieces using these colors. Mm. Um, and the process is really, I take a photo usually of family, of, of people playing dominoes. And that, that photo is actually taken at Tropical Park at a family reunion. Who took that photo? Oh, I took the photo. Right. So all the photos, uh -huh. I'll, I'll take them of family and then I'll print them onto fabric. 
that fabric then gets dyed and the colors change drastically. So you'll have regular skin tones, but when you dye it in the reds and the oranges of the achote seeds, it will turn into like a more reddish sunset hue that you're describing and that warmth will come out of it. Um, and then, and I also want to, I also feel and, and I think a lot about how it brings kind of like a soul into the piece. Mm-hmm. It brings some some feelings and connections to to family and to these traditions and to the ancestors and within those traditions um and then once that's done i quilt it i embroider it there's different processes um and then it ends up on the wall yeah and and there is body it it reminds you very much of when you're in spanish and say illuminando when you're Uh, when you're coloring mm -hmm. black and white pieces you're adding color to a black and white piece before in the days before color film yes and um and you know, I think this leads me to the fact that if you look at this as just a photo, it's very—it says something just as a photo itself. And you have a background in photography, mm-hmm. like you did. You did some work where I mean, you'd fo- you'd photograph Daddy Yankee when he was <laughs> dropping a new line, right? Yes. Uh, so I yeah, I've done a lot of uh, fashion editorial photography. I've worked with brands. So I worked with Psycho Bunny, and they had a mm-hmm. campaign with Daddy Yankee and Kendrick Sampson and. A lot of celebrities. Um, so you're doing high-level photography here as well. So like, yes. you're, 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 this is separate from the from the the creation of textiles and fabric, which is a whole other technical skill. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I I also dabbled in in photographing things and being published in different magazines. Uh, I've done um, things for Vogue Italia for Paper Magazine and things like that. Um, and that kind of all comes from my background in fashion and and always wanting to portray my garments that I would make my collections of clothing on the model I would want to kind of I would want to depict it in a certain way so I wanted to always take the photos myself um, and then I started to do that I started to do that so much that I I, I got out a second career <laughs> added a little second side gig to my right. to my studio practice um, but I find I, I came back to the fabric and the feel because I missed it. I missed, um, you know, printing those photos onto fabric as opposed to paper. I, I felt like there was a like I couldn't connect to the images um, the same way. Tell me about about then those moments when you begin to combine those things, right? Because mm-hmm. that's ultimately like what your what your art seems to be leaning towards now. Um, what did it do for your ability to express yourself when you take something, an image that is just to be looked at, mm-hmm. and then you place it on something which is meant to be held Mm. so i think it gives it a layer of of connection that Mm. you can't get from the digital and from paper Mm -hmm. because of the confines of the art world i think in art we're told do not touch the art i was just thinking that (laughs) don't touch the art do not touch the art and folks listen don't go to the pam and start touching all the (laughs) art unless it's meant to do that statement by Diana Savio to go touch the art but <laughs> does that give you but, an idea though like when you start thinking about how you present your art and how you affect people and how you you're basically trying to say something you're trying to teach people about something that may have been lost to time like traditional techniques and mm-hmm. and traditional um quote-unquote tribes for lack of a better term in different communities yes do you start thinking about how do I present my art in such a way where it's maybe I do want them to touch the art yes um exactly I I think I sometimes maybe rebel against some of the traditions uh, that come from the Western world, 
by bringing in these traditions that come from Latin America and from places I'm from and from the black diaspora, indigenous diaspora as well. Um, and I, it makes me think a lot about um, like different projects I've done where I've, I've even made some of the some of my textiles into pillows that you can travel with, that you can hug. Um, when you go to my studio at Oolite, you'll find a couch that I have in my studio and a bunch of those pillows that I've made, just kind of samples throughout the process. Um, so it, people connect with those a lot, more than I, more than I expected. Um, those little pillows that are just there, I don't really think much of them, but um, they gravitate towards that because they could touch it. Um, touch it and gives it that it. element of, of feel. And then uh, making garments, you know, garments are on the body. Um, of course, you have a connection to it. Um, and I think that we as people don't really think about we overlook kind of where our, our garments come from. Mm -hmm. So I think having the having making garments is really important to my practice because it gives people an idea of of, OK, so this was made this way. This was this this color came from avocado seeds. This color came from here, from there. And it gives people an, an idea of of the entire textile industry and the fashion industry and the, the effect that we have on the market. Because at the end of the day, we're the ones that can uh, make that decision. What um, if we want to work with or buy and support companies that are working with synthetic dyes and maybe not the best for our planet or if we're a little bit more conscious about what we're what we're wearing and what's on our body, then we can gravitate towards those other brands and change the industry. And I already see it happening. So we're things are looking up. I just feel like um, it's it's a great time to have those conversations now. Right. Mm -hmm. You're letting people behind the curtain a little bit, too. You're hosting some workshops, right, oh, yeah. where you're teaching people how to make these dyes. And that already brings them a little closer to not just do your work, but to understanding those things. Like even something esoteric sometimes as environmentalism. What does that mm, mean, you know? Yes. Tell me about some of those workshops that you're leading. Oh, my goodness. So I actually had one on Saturday at Oolite. It was the first of a monthly series that I'm doing. So there'll be one in August, September, and October. Okay. And August will be all red, September all yellow, and October all blue. So just to give you an idea, if those are your colors, come out to those specific ones. Where do people find more info on that? Uh, Ulightarts.org, so right. on their website. Perfect. And um, it's been so fulfilling to do, do those workshops just very honest um, about what, it. Yeah, what kind of feedback have you gotten from people? Like, what are those moments or, that make you feel like, oh, this was a good thing to do? Yes, um, so I did a workshop in on Earth Day in April with the Everglades, um, with the Artists in Residence in Everglades organization. So we were in the Everglades making dyes from achote, from the seeds that I was talking about. And there was this group of there was this group of this family and there was these little kids. I didn't expect so many little kids to come and for them to be so hands on and so into it because it is something hard to to understand, I think. But it is also something that's just just naturally comes to you. You want to you want to put the fabric in the water and the soap and start to do things and then see how the color changes on the fabric. So it's very accessible. There's um, a reason we finger paint as kids. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So I I those moments those aha moments where i'm like i might be in the studio alone in my head thinking about all of these like very esoteric <laughs> concepts 
but then it comes down to like these workshops where there's these kids and they're just having fun and they're connecting with nature and they don't even know they are and it it just opens my eyes to you know the ways that we have an effect on our community and how i my practice part of my practice is is that is that com- building community okay. um and i've also been doing workshops on a weekly basis with the local middle school uh from january from the beginning of this year till till june i was doing workshops and these are middle schoolers so they're also getting that connection to the places that they come from because the majority of the class was Haitian and Latino and so they were connecting to the landscape they're from Miami but they're connecting to places that they're from in the Mm -hmm. same way I am right so that was really cool to see that happen in live you know um and what's interesting is that you're right. you're affecting people locally, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's been such a problem is Miami becomes such an unaffordable city mm. that sometimes, and whether that comes in the, true in the film industry as well, people leave Miami. And you're part of this program uh, at Ulite where they give up a, a stipend, mm-hmm. like $12,000 a year or something to help offset housing costs, which is such an issue here. Right. So I, I'm curious about how important that's been for you to be able to to delve into the place that you're from and, and tell kind of that art story here. Yeah, so I, um, I'm really grateful to be able to to stay here. I think there's a a big community of artists that are passionate about Miami, mm-hmm. but they don't have the support from the community. They're being priced out. Mm-hmm. Um, real estate's going; it's at an all time high. Um, so I think that these programs are really important, and I hope that other organizations take note and uh, take it as an example to. Uh, given and have an incentive for the artists to stay um so yeah it's really important for me to be here this is where i where what i call home this is my city and it's uh, where my family is where a lot of my inspiration comes from my art changes when i'm in different cities so when i was in baltimore i was making completely different things i didn't have access to these natural materials in the winter (laughs) in the snow um and so I love being here for that reason. It's summer year round and I get to be able to work year round um, and do this research around the plants and the different materials that will make colors. Um, if, yeah, I think that's that's really the big biggest reason I'm here uh, to continue that research and to find the colors of home. In the last minute that we have, tell me a little bit about what you wanna do next with this newfound knowledge and where you are in your career now. Oh, so I still have a year and a half at my studio at Ulite, so I will be making the most out of that opportunity, um, continuing to study these dyes, and the most, I think, exciting thing is I want to create a new collection. I haven't made a collection in about, what, in about four years, so... Uh, I'm getting back into making uh, fashion again. A lot of people ask me if if I'm selling things so that they can wear it. So uh, the, you're hearing it here first. <laughs> Great, and where can, and, and, and where can people designs. find out, keep up with you? Like, where, what's the best place for people to keep up with you and what's coming next for you? Yeah, so um, social media, they can follow me on Instagram at Diana Osebio Studio. And... Um, they can also come by if they're local they could come by ulite arts and and visit my studio and see what i'm making in person or go to the workshops diana it's been wonderful getting to spend this time with you thank you so much thank you 
Our guest today was Diana Eusebio. She's a Peruvian and Dominican artist born and raised in Miami. Her work is currently on display at Ulite Arts in South Beach, and you can follow her on Instagram at Diana Eusebio Studio. And that's Sundial for Thursday, July 27th. Leslie Ovalle Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Helen Acevedo helped produce the show. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News, and Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Merch is WLRN's VP of Radio. Engineering our board today is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Balo at GoBalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up next week on the program, you've seen the eyes that he graffitis all over Miami. His artist name is A-Hole Sniffs Glue, but we'll get to know him as David Anasagasti. He's a Cuban-American graffiti artist who's made his city his art project. I'm Carlos Frias. Good vibes only. WLRN Public Media.